Welcome to No Matter What. I'm Hannah Seymour, and this podcast is all about being who God created you to be no matter what. No matter your past, your current circumstances, no matter your relationship status, your career journey, no matter what life throws at you. Each episode, I invite a friend to talk about what that actually looks like, to be who God created you to be no matter what. The music you're hearing is my good friend, Shaylee Simeon. Shaylee is a songwriter and worship leader, and I just know you will love her and her music. So definitely go check her out, but a huge thank you to Shaylee for letting me use her music on my show. Now, I have been dreaming up this podcast for a long, long time. And the first time I actually sat down to sketch out what the show would be and who would be on it, I knew right away who I wanted to be on the first episode. And that's my dad. Now, there are a lot of reasons why I could have my dad on this podcast. He's a pastor, a Bible teacher, former president of Moody Bible Institute, has his own podcast. I could go on and on. But the primary reason I wanted to talk to him was because the concept of this show, Be Who God Created You to Be No Matter What, that concept came from him. And I thought it was important not only to give credit where credit is due, but to give the larger context for it. So, Dad, welcome to my podcast. Oh, gee, shucks, heck and darn. I mean, that's lovely. And by the way, uh, your music rocks. Thanks. I know. I love it. Shaylee is a dear friend, and her music really is awesome. I listened to it and said, that sounds just like something you'd pick. (laughs) Great intro. So, as long as I can remember, I've heard you say this phrase, will you be the man, will you be the woman God designed you to be? no matter your circumstance. Is there a backstory to that? Do you even remember the first time you said it behind the pulpit? I do, and actually it was at a Family Life Weekend to Remember marriage conference that your mom Ah. and I spoke at for 15 years, about five to six weekend to remembers. I guess it should be weekends to remember (laughs) a year, and uh, we learned so much from Dennis and Barbara Rainey and other speakers on the speaker team. And uh, we had this this final session during this two-and-a-half-day conference and the final session was called legacy and that was your opportunity that you've been with these couples for you know you've talked about the ups and downs of marriage about communication about money about sex about all the things that every couple is going to uh, wrestle with and go through and learn and grow hopefully and at the end of the day you you know two people that are married have a different view of how marriage should work and a different view of how their husband and wife should work and so all that said it was our opportunity to sort of make this final plea, this huge charge to to be this person God wants you to be. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was extemporaneous. It was it was a culmination of so many things we've taught about discipleship through the Bible, just teaching the Bible in local churches. And then that weekend was to say, no matter your circumstance, will you be the man, the woman God wants you to be, no matter your situation? Mm-hmm. Because you can't wait in that situation on your husband to be a certain way, your sure. wife to be a certain way. Well, he's not a Christian, a good leader. She's not submissive. She she won't fill in the blank. And couples get locked in that narrative. Yeah. And I would physically take a couple of steps, Hannah, toward the end of the stage. I would walk and say, will you be the man that God wants you? Will you be the woman that God wants you to be no matter your circumstance? Because, you know, the audience is one. It's him. Mm-hmm. And my circumstance cannot dictate who I am in Christ. Only I can make that decision. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think too many people live. They live under some situation. They're hurt. They had injustice. They were wounded. Yeah. Uh, fill in the blank. 
and boy, if my life was this way, then I could be a better Christian, a better employee, a better... Right, right. And that's exactly, I mean, kind of where I started when thinking about this show, of this idea that I think most of us, we've got at least one area in our life, right? At least (laughs) one. A lot of us have, I mean, I've got way more than one that I wish was different. (laughs) Right. And it's easy to sit back and go, well, once God shows up there, or once that circumstance changes, once he fixes that, then I can be... X, Y, Z, instead of realizing the reality is my life is never going to look like I think it should look like, or Mm -hmm. the way I am the most happy and content in every area. And I mean, immediately as I'm saying this, you again are coming to mind. I I often, whenever I get to speak or write, I often will say, look, probably 95% of everything that comes out of my mouth is from Michael or Cindy Easley. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But well, I feel like it's it's good. That's good. It's totally plagiarism, (laughs) basic is what I'm saying. But I guess since I'm your spawn, if you will, it's like, well, that's the legacy. I'm not plagiarizing. I'm just carrying on your legacy. Um, but I think of you saying, you know, we don't grow. Most of the time, we don't grow in seasons of happiness and contentment. We grow in seasons of hardship, of yeah. challenge. And I think this whole concept, are you going to be the person God designed you to be no matter what? You know, how do we come to terms with the fact that our no matter what may never change? Like you, one of your no matter what's is chronic pain. You live with daily chronic pain. It will probably never go away until you are on the other side of the fence with Christ. So that's your opportunity to figure out how am I growing in this area? How do I be the man that God wants me to be? Um, I, I don't know. Other thoughts on that? Well, you know, people that know me, the first question they ask me if they haven't seen me in a while, how's your back? Yeah. So like it or not, I'm defined by a person with chronic pain and a bad back. I hate that definition. I hate being defined or viewed that way, like I'm something fragile or I'm something that, you know, limps along when reality we all do, I suppose. But the point is, if I let that define me, and I, I can remember Hannah going to a pain doctor in Chicago, Dr. Ira Goodman was a great pain management doctor, and his waiting room, he only saw patients twice a week. And so on those clinic days, his waiting room was full of the most broken pond of humanity I'd ever seen. Mm. Most of these people were disabled. They were crumpled over. They were in wheelchairs, walkers, the lines on their faces. There was no frivolity. There was no, how you doing? It yeah. was depressing to go in there. And I remember walking in that room, thanking God I was ambulatory, mm. thanking God I could drive myself there. Most of these people could not drive themselves there. Mm-hmm. Most of these people were terminal. And I remember looking at that room thinking, we're defined by our pain. So walking out of there was, I don't want to be defined by this. And that, that's a choice. I, I, I do think the people that make that decision, and I know people that are ill, and they're defined by it, and they sit in front of the television, they binge on Netflix, they're overweight, they're indolent, they're unhappy, yeah. they're unfun to be around. Yeah. And so I'm not you know, judging them in the sense that, you know, get up and be different. What I'm judging is, Michael, I don't want to be that way. Now, that's a physical uh, illustration, sure. more spiritually, in spite of marriage trouble, financial trouble, health trouble, fill in the blanks, parenting your kids' trouble. Uh, do you want to be defined by those circumstances? Mm-hmm. No. That's entropy. That's the knee jerk. That's the normal response. Right. I don't have money. I got student loans, fill in the blanks. And you can define yourself that way. You know what? 
that has a real short life on it. I mean, yeah. that's that's a terrible way to live. So, yeah. as a believer, uh, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have His Word. We have people around us who hopefully are growing and maturing that we can lean on and encourage as well. I want to be more like the disciple Jesus wants me to be. Yeah. In spite of, instead of overcoming, not that I'm overcoming pain, but overcoming that definition mm-hmm. that I won't be happy unless. Right. I won't be happy until. And again, that's a lie all of us believe. You've heard me say bigger, better, newer, more all your right. life. Bigger, but if I get a bigger house, a better car, a newer car, a new, newer clothes, yep. newer style, new hair, haircut, new do, then I'll be happy. Bigger, better, newer, more never satisfies. It does right. for... You know, you know, your old man, he likes cars and trucks. You know? so how many, <laughs> I, I, when I traded my last car, the car salesman gave me a theological education. He said, you don't keep your cars very long, do you? <laughs> I was like, uh, well, <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> That's it. I'm really excited. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. And he said, why are you buying these seven-year extended warranty plans? You trade your cars every three to four three years, four, yeah. and you pay cash. And yeah. I went, That's a valid point. <laughs> That's funny. So just as illustratively, that great truck I had in 2016 barely satisfied me for three years, and I wanted another one. Yeah. Now, when I got that thing, I was happy as could be. But in a very short (laughs) order, hey, the new one came out. It's got a 10-speed transmission. I could get better gas Uh mileage. Uh Never mind spending all the money to buy the dumb thing. Right. But it's just a silly way of looking at it. So from a spiritual point of view, it's not bigger, better, no more. It will not make me happy. Mm-hmm. And if you change your husband to be this or that, or your wife to be this or that, or your children to all be compliant, straight A kids, right. there will be something around the corner that will you'll face again. Right. So the maturing Christian has to make the decision, who am I in Christ? Yeah. My identity must be in him, not in my circumstance or in my expectation of if I get these things, then I'll be happy or fulfilled. Okay, so I think this idea that God has created us to be a certain way, a certain person, I mean, you just said our identity has to be rooted in Christ, implies that there is a specific calling on my life, on your life, on everyone's life as a believer, that God has a purpose for us, and we need to be living out that purpose. And to be totally honest, one of the reasons I wanted to do this show and have you specifically on the show was to talk about how even I feel like I have struggled with this concept as I've aged, as my season of life has changed. I've gone from, you know, being a full-time higher education employee. I used to work with hundreds of college students, I mean, daily, interact with faculty and staff every day. It was really easy for me to feel like I know what my calling is. I know that I'm living it out. I know that I'm making an impact for the kingdom, whether it was, again, like mentoring students who didn't know the Lord, mentoring students who did know the Lord. Uh, Now I work part-time for you, which there's obvious, you know, ministry impact there, but I'm also home full-time with two boys. And I know that that's ministry too. I know there's an impact, but it's still, I am overwhelmed with the idea that I want my life to matter. And Mm -hmm. I don't just mean that in the millennial sense. I mean, I want it to matter for the kingdom. I don't want to get on the other side of this in eternity and look back and think, dang, I wasted a hundred years on earth. Mm -hmm. I was focused on the wrong things. I was chasing after the wrong things. Mm -hmm. So I guess my first question is, is that something you've struggled with? Is that is that a generational thing? Is that a... I would say it's an awareness, not a generational or age. I think it's um, 
when you have enough sobriety in your life to say, does my life matter? You're asking a bigger question than just all about me. Mm -hmm. Our culture feeds the all about me. You've heard me say a million times, comparison is the kiss of death of gratitude. Yeah. Uh, our friend Rachel Cruz wrote a book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs, uh, as sort of a knee-jerk response. The title was to Instagram and Pinterest and watching everybody else live this social media life that's not real. Yeah. And then you're comparing yourself toward this image that someone has taken and they have tweaked on their phone for 25 minutes before they posted it to make it look just right. And so part of it is... I think it's self-awareness. Are you mature in Christ? Uh, let me take a sidestep and say, at the end of our life, God is not going to be mad or upset or wringing his yeah. hands when we cross heaven's threshold and say, you really didn't do what I wanted you to do. <laughs> I mean, we have to change our view of God from his word and not our expectations. Yeah. That doesn't uh, give us a buy to waste our life, right. but just to sort of calm the anxiety people yeah. might fear. Today's the only day we have. Yeah. And so I can't look back on the regrets other than to say I don't want to continue having as many regrets. You're going to have regrets, but as many regrets. But at the same time, uh, and I hate the language, but just in a conversation between you and me, right? Uh, Don't be so hard on yourself. You know, now that said, some people need to be hard on themselves. Right. But if you're asking that question, I don't think you're hard on yourself. I think you're asking a a very self-aware question. I'm not here for myself. And to speak your language, I'm not merely a mother of two boys, merely a wife to my great husband, merely working part time for my father, merely doing. I'm not. This is who I am. And your sphere of influence. I like to think about all of us have a sphere of influence. Yeah. And we don't know. You've heard me say imperceptible influence. We don't know outside the influence what we're having. Mm-hmm. I had lunch today with a man who's about eighty. And he's got a spiritual legacy that is unbelievable. I could talk to him for hours. Mm-hmm. And he's at that place asking himself, do I have something to, to contribute? Yeah. I'm like, my word, you can't stop. Yeah. You've got to keep. And then I hear a slow echo. Michael, you're 62 and you're in the same boat. You're asking the same question. So it's a universal condition for a growing Christian to ask, number one. Number two, God's not upset or mad or kicking the dirt because we're not doing it. So coming back then to three, uh, avocare, a vocation, uh, the word call is, in my view, terribly misunderstood. Mm. Uh, I don't believe in a call to ministry in the sense that you're called to be a pastor, you're called to be a mother, you're called to be a homemaker, you're called to be a homeschooler, you're called to be a CEO. I don't like that language. People may differ fine. I think it's misleading. Okay. Two reasons. What if you miss the call? Right. It's terrifying. What if you're doing something that you weren't called to do? Yep. So let's go back to the Bible. Three times the word call is used, specifically the call of the prophet in the Old Testament. Okay. Which, by the way, he was always reluctant. He never wanted to do it. Right. (laughs) Secondly, in the New Testament, the general call to salvation. Okay. It's a broad stroke. I believe that all are called. Yep. And then third, the call to discipleship. Okay. which some people will split hairs. I think they're two distinct calls. I do think a disciple responds differently to the call of salvation than the, quote, average pew-sitting, nominal Christian, church-going, sure. yeah, I'm a good person. Right. A person who's in the Word, a person who's praying, a person who's growing, a person who wants to be the person Jesus wants them mm-hmm. to be, that person is a disciple. Okay. They, they want to be more like their master. Yeah. So then we had to back up and ask the question, what am I called to in my sphere of influence? Mm-hmm. If you're a homemaker, if you got boys, a uh, growing young family, 
if you have financial limitations, your sphere is more than likely going to be like-minded people, yeah, neighbors, yeah. other women you interact with. In my world, people that are empty nest, grandkids, maybe, maybe we, maybe we're semi-retired, almost retired, retired, and so you have to look at that sphere as the place God's put you. Okay. How are you going to use it? What are you going to do there? Yeah. Now, the imperceptible influence, the part that leaks out, I can't measure. Right. But it's fun to think about. And once in a while, God gives you a glimpse. Sure. So you say something to someone, and they say, you know, Hannah told me, or, or Dr. E told me. Yeah. Then that imperceptible influence continues downstream in ways we can't measure. So I think the sphere of influence is a good way to look at it. You're living in the middle of that sphere, but you don't exactly know how the influence is leaking beyond those borders. Mm -hmm. And then I would just add faithfulness is more important than influence. Are you faithful to being a good wife and a good mom? Yeah. Are you faithful as a good employee? Are you faithful as a good student in college? Are you faithful, you know, around a non-Christian world where you work and you are the only Christian in the office? Right. You know, are you faithful? That is what God is very interested in more so than success, more so than any other measurement, is are you being faithful? And how, I mean, how do I measure that? How do I know, <laughs> how do I know if I'm being faithful? Um, number one, we go back to the Great Commission, and then we go to the Great Commandment. The Great Commission is to make disciples of all ethnos, and then the Great Commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh -huh. So if we look at those two as bows on a very simplistic snippet of what Jesus taught, am I influencing people to know Christ or to grow in Christ. That's the primary discipleship call to me. I think you peel all the Bible away. People cherry pick verses and make a life verse out of them. Great. Jesus said, make disciples of all ethnos, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. Baptizing means to identify them. Help them come to know who I am and make disciples, make students of them, students who follow their teachers, and that ultimately is Christ. So in your podcast, in your college work, in your graduate work, in your work on the job, am I representing Christ? Am I looking for those chances to talk about the Lord in mm -hmm. simple, easy ways, mm -hmm. not super stressful or convicting or guilt-shaming? You're not talking about Jesus enough. That's nonsense. But am I living in such a faithful way? Am I faithful to my vow to Cindy? Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. to Tyler. Mm -hmm. Am I a person who speaks the truth? Mm -hmm. Am I a person who is with a, a, a person I disagree with on every point of their life, but I can love them and be kind to them, and I can also disagree and smile yeah. and say, you know, I, we, we hold a different view on this. Yeah. I think, doo -doo 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 -doo, you know, you think this. That's fine. I respect you as a person. I disagree with what you're saying. Sure. And those conversations are, that's for the mature. That's hard to have. Right. Which you do that already. You've always done that as a kid and a young adult and a young woman now. But I think that's where people have to define, am I going to represent Christ on the job uh, mm -hmm. as best I can mm -hmm. within the limitations of a, a work day? But I, I think being faithful with what he's given you. And we could measure that with stewardship of our finances, stewardship of our time. We could look at it personally. Am I in the word? Yeah. Am I growing? Yeah. I don't think those are trite. Right. If I'm in the word, in prayer, and growing and seeing new things and convictions and encouragement in the day when I read the Bible, then I can't grow. Yeah. And then I think there's an outflow too. When people are in the word and growing, they can't not talk about it. Mm. That's good. It hit me the other day when I saw this for the umpteenth yeah. time. I never saw this. Yeah. I was reading this morning. He forgives me for his name's sake. No matter how many times I read that phrase, it strikes me. Mm. 
not for what I do, right. not because I'm a good guy. He forgives me for his namesake. Yeah. So if I can share the things I'm learning, that that overflow of our lives mm-hmm. will affect people. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how to measure it, but it will. Mm-hmm. And they'll come back. I remember one of your high school friends that said, you know, Hannah, you're the best Christian I know, which number one makes you feel like really weird. <laughs> like, oh, no. no, 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 no. Right, it's and horrible. Yeah, <laughs> you like, right. you don't know Christians. any Christians, right. <laughs> yeah. And the other side, it goes, wow, this is the only person. This is I'm the only one this person sees. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we bless God that he uses us in spite of us. Yeah. And forget the detractors and the people that hate our guts. They're always going to be there. But the people you influence, yeah, they know if you're faithful. Right. And then I go, again, for me, it goes back to discipleship and love. Am, am I helping people grow in Christ? And for, for your old man, for your dad, I had to be grounded in the word. So that's where my platform was. I'm going to try to teach the Bible. That's where I you know, drove my tent peg in the ground. Yeah as opposed to med school or business or anything else I might have had interest in. And that's not the only thing to do. That's not sanctimonious. That's just where I believed God wanted me to be. Yeah. And that's very subjective to say that. But, you know, that's where we are. So then measuring it as we grow in time, am I less anxious? Mm. I, I look for things that you can't measure by a to-do list. Mm-hmm. Am I less fearful? Mm. Am I less obsessive? Am I more loving? Am I more patient? Uh Am I more kind? Uh We look at the fruit of the Spirit. Am I more of those attributes, Mm -hmm. or am I still short-fused and critical and judgmental and knee-jerk response to people and dismissive of people? I can be very quick to judge people. Yeah. And so on those glimpses, when I see myself, you know, I didn't jump down that person's neck. Throw it. You know, thank you, Lord. That was a win today. I don't yeah. feel as bad as I usually feel when yeah. I put somebody in their place like I can put somebody in their place. But at the end of the day, there's got to be some way we look at it. And, yeah. and, you know, back to your comment about chronic pain, for me, in the worst of my pain, I have very little patience for people. I mean, think about it. If you're oh, yeah. if you're hurting, if you got cancer, if you totally. go through chemo, you don't care about somebody's hangnail. No. And yet, I think God calls us to live above that. So for me, it's like when I'm at my worst, can I at least be kind to people? Uh-huh. And that's a very specific target. Yeah. Can I be kind to the people in the medical community who all they right. deal with are sick, hurting, complaining, drug-seeking patients yeah. who in the main are very problematic? Right. So I have a chance to be that one who's nice, who's kind, who listens, who's respectful, who appeals to them as the expert, not me, the know-it-all, uh, who asks good questions, yeah, who you know cares about them as a person. Right, right, right. Not only do you get better health care out of that, but <laughs> you're a nice person to be around. Yeah. And people can tell. Right. So um, there's lots of ways you can measure it. You can't measure it by scale, right. but you can measure it. Am I kind? Am I patient? Am I yeah. gentle? Am I a little less judgmental and critical? And that still might well up. You still might want to, this person's really an idiot. Right. But you're not going to say that. Right. You're going to say, no, they're made in the image of God. Yeah. And you've reminded me of this hundreds of times. Dad, don't be critical. Help them. Yeah. And that's a lesson for all of us. Don't be judgmental. Maybe you're not a judgment. Maybe you're a person that's really passive, and growth for you is to step into the conversation. Mm. Mm-hmm. So those are imperceptible things that are hard to measure, but I think they are important in the spiritual life. Am I more like Christ in those settings, mm-hmm. and can I find my way back to the Word to demonstrate, whether it's Proverbs, through the Spirit, being the person Christ wants me to be, humble, kind, loving, yeah. truthful, on yeah. and on. 
Just want to interrupt this conversation for a second to talk about high school graduation gifts. Tis the season when students are graduating high school and headed off to college, and I have the perfect gift for you to give a college-bound girl. It's my book, The College Girl Survival Guide, which I wrote from my 10 plus years of working on college campuses and mentoring college students. It's biblically based, but a super practical approach on how to handle the ups and downs of college life, covering the top 52 biggest concerns of college women today. Things ranging from roommate conflicts to dating relationships, how to stand firm in your faith to finding career direction. You can buy it from me at hannahseymour.com and I will personalize it by writing a note to your college bound girl and sign it for free if you just use the code no matter what all one word at hannahseymour.com but get it now because I have a limited amount of copies again that's code no matter what at hannahseymour.com I think going back to my story and changes in my career and season of life and whatever I think I was listening to a podcast that you were you happened to be a guest on and y'all were talking about discipleship and your sphere of influence and I mean these exact things about introducing Christ into the conversation bringing people to the Lord helping them grow in the Lord all these things and it kind of sent me into a tailspin and I'm talking to Tyler about it and you know saying if I had listened to this while I was a full-time higher ed professional I would have just felt encouraged and like I'm doing this I do this every day again I talk to dozens of students a day, some who know Christ, some that don't. I get to walk with them in their lives, push Mm -hmm. them closer to Christ, no matter where they are on that journey. Today, when I was talking to Tyler, I'm like, today I've interacted with two boys (laughs) under two years old, you and the UPS guy. Okay. Like that is who I've interacted with. And I, I know that parenting is discipleship in a totally different way and level, but I'm not discipling my two little people yet. I am keeping them alive. That's basically all I'm doing. And so this idea of, you know, it feels like going back to your idea of your sphere of influence, my sphere of influence feels so small. And I know I have neighbors and I know I could reach out to five young women right now. I could Mm -hmm. text five young women and say, hey, come over to my house and all whatever. But I don't feel like I have the time or the emotional capacity or the. But again, all of that like puts me into this tailspin of. I'm supposed to be the woman God created me to be no matter what. And my no matter what right now is that I don't sleep a lot. And I have two boys that are crazy. They're (laughs) angels, but they're crazy. And, you know, I mean. So first of all, take a deep breath. First of all, every every parent and every mom that has more than one is going to feel this way. And, you know, look back, we survived. So it is a chapter of life. It's a very intense chapter of life. It's a nonstop chapter of life. Unless they're asleep, you're doing something for them. Right. You know, and when they get to that magical age where they can play in their room for an hour with books <laughs> or crayons or whatever it is, it's like, oh, you know, you've got an hour of your life back. But I would say don't underestimate the influence of just being in the room with toddlers. Because, mm-hmm. you know, what we know about attachment and what we know about how a child understands love from their mother and father, very little of it has to do with what you say. It's who you are and that you're present and mm-hmm. that you're there. And I've watched you parent with, you know, the way you can look at Isaac, for example, and he's doing, you just give him a look and it communicates so much. I sit there just endeared watching that. And I tell your mom, I go, I can't believe what, how great of a mom she is. But that time in the middle of it, it's eternity. Yeah. But it will change. 
Yeah. And in four or five short years, when that little boy goes off to first grade and you cry for three days because totally. he's not a little boy anymore, yeah. now all of a sudden you have a huge sphere of influence called the elementary school. Right. Or, you know, whatever. So, again, I go back to either self-awareness or maybe a self-contrived picture of if I was influential, I would be X. And this is where comparison is the kiss of mm-hmm. death of gratitude. Not many become leaders for this reason. Yeah. Conversation I just had this week with a, a, another older gentleman about leadership by nature means you say no to a whole lot more things than you say yes to. Right. And the further you go up in leadership, the more you must say no. Right. That's never taught in leadership books. It's never taught mm. in MBAs. It's taught by hard-run experience and a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. because you do things as a leader and it backfires or it twists or whatever. And you have to continually ask yourself the high question, the organization's good. The people who I serve, they're good, yeah. not mine as a leader. Yeah. A leader's supposed to minister to others. So leadership and having this idea of I'm going to have a white marker board and this is Hannah's vision and mission for life and draw it all out and then try to go after it, good luck. Right. Good luck. Right. Maybe some do that. I don't think that's necessarily healthy. I don't think it's wrong. But good goals and objectives are, are important. But those will change. Yeah. And any leader I know that's gone from, you know, nothing to global influence, it's very different than how they started out. So back to your main point, I would not be hard on yourself or any any stay-at-home mom or a mom that works outside the home and raises children or couples that have lots of kids. We have friends in Alabama that have, what, nine children now? Their whole world. Right. His running nose is closed, tennis shoes, right. socks, washer, dryer, right. clothes, Sam's, you know, Costco. Is that discipleship? Yeah. Not the way maybe we, you know, envision having 12 people and having Bible study for two hours a week right. and one-on-one right. times with them. Right. But are you, are you shaping them and training mm-hmm. them and loving them and pointing them into the way of Christ? Sure. So I also say look at your life in decades, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, because they're all have different emphases. Sure. And in your 20s and 30s, you know, if you're married and having kids, then you're all consumed. Yeah. Your 40s, it becomes financial. How am I going to pay for all this? Right. How am I going to get these kids raised? And then by your 50s, your career settles and it starts to wind down. Mm-hmm. And by your 60s, the runway is really short. In the 70s, it's health. And then the 80s, if you're still around, it's it's worse health and uh, a lot of interesting challenges. So that's the reality of it. Right. So none of us ever gets to this place where it's all working swimmingly. Right. Well, I mean, again, it's going back to the no matter what. Yeah. It's like yeah. no matter what decade, no matter what season of life, no matter. And I think going back to that conversation I had with Tyler where I'm spiraling going, does my life matter anymore? Have I, you know, what am I doing for God's kingdom? How do I know I'm having an influence anymore? And I mean, he looked at me and said, Hannah, people would die if they knew that you are struggling with that question. And I said, what What do you mean? That's crazy. And he said, you've had this ministry. You have a book. You get to travel and go speak to women. Like you have a outlet and a ministry that most people don't have. And I said, and right. And I still wonder, <laughs> am I doing anything bigger, better, that matters? More. Yeah, bigger, better, no more. Yeah, I just know I'm not alone in this. And I yep. know that. The fact that you're aware of it tells me you're way ahead of the game. Because too many people are sucked so much in the now that they can't even think the way you're thinking or express it mm-hmm. in a way that says, wow, okay, Lord, does this matter? Mm-hmm. Here's the the real shocker. He's entrusted two souls to your care. Yeah. 
that's a real level playing field, you know. Your dependence is on him, not on your ability as a parent or the next parenting book or the next, you know, thing that comes down the psychological pipe about attachment or imprinting or whatever. Are you loving them unconditionally as best you can? Yeah. Are you a flawed, sinful parent? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And so maturity for your kids is going to be, hey, mom and dad weren't perfect, but, you know, they did a lot right. Mm-hmm. They did a lot right. And I think, you know, unless it was a horribly abusive household, most people can say, uh, even though my parents maybe weren't the best, they taught me a work ethic. They yeah. taught me yeah. to be kind. They loved me. They were there for me. Uh, you know, you can find things to be thankful for. Very easy to pick on things that, that they didn't do right, but... At the end of the day, I think you have to give yourself some, uh, take a breath, and it's yeah. okay. And he's he's not mad at us or discouraged by us. I do think the call of discipleship means we do things differently. Mm-hmm. We say no to some of the trappings of the world in order to do some of the things that we hope he will use. Mm-hmm. A different story in a sense, but very applicable. I heard Larry Crabb many years ago tell a story. For those that don't know, Larry Crabb was a pioneer of psychological counseling, Christian orientation, but a very different approach than the Freudian or behavioral uh, modification kind of psychology that was popular in those days. And he wrote a book called Inside Out, and he wrote a number of books, Encouragement and Marriage. But he was once interviewed about life change and patients he'd seen over the years. And he was talking about he was on a campus in Colorado University, and uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful day. And he was walking across campus, and he saw some kids sitting on this knoll And one of the kids had been a patient of his. And he walked by, and um, he sat down and chatted with him for a few minutes. And he asked the kid the question, how are you doing? And the kid kind of went into, you know, like a counseling role. Well, you know, and and Larry said, no, I just, how are you doing? He goes, like, how am I doing? Yeah, like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. And he talked about classes and maybe his girlfriend or whatever. Fast forward, he runs into this guy. Uh, a year or so later, I forget the time frame. And he says in the speech I heard him give, he says, I was feeling kind of proud of myself. <laughs> and the guy was doing really well. And I saw him and I said, when you look back on our time in therapy, like, was there one thing that really changed you that the light switch went on? And, and he's thinking in his own mind of the times he had some insight into yeah. his history or whatever, yeah. his childhood. And the kid says, uh, yeah, it was that time when you walked on the university and you sat down on the lawn and just talked to me as a person. Wow. <laughs> Larry, Larry just kind of throws his hands up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's imperceptible influence. Being present, we overuse yeah. that phrase, being available yeah. where God has you. You just don't know. Yeah. And that's the mystery of God using us in spite of us. Mm. And so when you look at Pax and Isaac and, you know, maybe neighbors and their kids, you just don't know. Yeah. And that's sort of the neat part of it's. it's up to God to use us. We just show up for duty. Mm-hmm. We just show up faithfully. And there's time to roll up your sleeves and ask hard questions like you're asking, does mm-hmm. my life count? Those are good questions. But don't be suffocated by them mm-hmm. or immobilized by them. Mm-hmm. Find some. And then the other thing I would just add is try things. Try this thing. May or may not work. Try that thing. May or may not work. You just you continue to experiment with, with life yeah. and opportunities yeah. and find your way to how God might use you in the next sphere of influence. Well, it's funny you say show up because I was praying about it and thinking through just new year. And sometimes I choose a word. Sometimes I choose a verse, you know, whatever. And I decided 2020, my mantra or whatever you want to call it is going to be show up. 
That's what I'm going to do in 2020. I'm going to show up. And I mean, yes, we use be present. I think we're, we're a little overboard on this be present, be present. But I think that feels very real to me right now. It's really easy for me to pull out my phone and distract myself on social media and just, it's a numbing mechanism. And I do not want my phone to be part of 2020. I want it to be down Mm -hmm. and I just want to be present, whether that's watching my boys play or having a conversation with my husband or being outside with our neighbors or whatever, but showing up and and really being in the moment, really being present with the people around you and not get distracted by all this stuff. But I think our phone has brought in this level of distraction that we are so unaware of yeah we've heard this bantered about in news outlets and pundits talking about cell phones or the new smoking yeah and uh, so much is going on with neuroscience with cranial neck issues with people looking down at their devices with distraction inability to have a conversation and you've always been good about eye contact with people you've always had that one down and that's rare with people today because most people will talk and not look at a person in the eye or they look away. And there's all sorts of nonverbal cues about what that communicates yeah. uh, or look down. And so there's there's a number of things going on where technology pulls us from that. And we can pretend we're listening. There's, I think MIT demonstrated there's no such thing as multitasking. It's more the ability to resume what you've left right? as opposed to truly right. doing several things at once that you can – go from an email to a text message to a conversation to something on the stove to whatever as opposed to some of us that really can't do that well Mm -hmm. but you can't multitask so it it, it all combines together but back to the spiritual life i think we can be too hard on ourselves and we can also be not lackadaisical yeah and i think the balance therein again it, it sounds so trite and so overstated but am i in the word am i spending a little time in prayer and that, to me, is a calibration. And you know me and technology, I love this stuff. But when it comes to Bible reading and prayer, I've got to use a physical book because it keeps me from click, click, click. Right. It keeps me from distraction. Oh, I forgot about that email. Yeah. And I, I promised that person yesterday I'd get this done. And, boy, we all live in that world. Yep. But just that little time in the Word, and, and again, it's baby steps. Start out five minutes, grow to ten Maybe that day of the week when you don't have to go somewhere, make make it an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mix it up. Pray. Use a prayer book. I just gave a guy a copy of Valley of Vision today at lunch. A prayer book that I have loved. Your mom and I have loved. We like Handbook to Prayer by Kim Boa, as Mm -hmm. you well know, because that gets me out of a formulaic approach to prayer. And I think that's where Christians struggle. Their spiritual lives are indefinable, and they're experiential. Mm -hmm. Experiential. Christian life is terrible. Mm -hmm. It cannot be experiential. My experience can't dictate my Christian life. The authority of God's word, the power of God's spirit have to control my spiritual life, not my experience. That's a huge battle that that I would say this culture has lost. They've succumbed to experiential theology. And to go back to a biblical theological viewpoint of what does the word say? How does this apply to my life? How do I integrate this in my thinking, in my emotions, in my heart, in my actions? Now pray, God, I need your help right. to implement what this means. Yeah. I cannot do this in the flesh. Yeah. A good friend of mine told me 20 years ago, Michael, you can't make your flesh better. Yeah. Wow, it was like two books hit me on the side of the head. Yeah. Because we think our Christian life is going to make our flesh better. Your right. flesh is sinful. It's fallen. It's corrupt. Right. So I can't make my flesh better, but I can cooperate with God's spirit. Mm-hmm. and hopefully then the behaviors do follow, is mm-hmm. if I cooperate with the Spirit, submitting to his word, 
And again, that's just a good baseline for all of us. Time right. in a word every day, time in prayer every day, a handful of close friends that know your soul. Mm-hmm. And you know, a week doesn't go by, I don't talk to Robert or Dave or you know any number of my friends on the phone having that touch point of what's going on in your life. Yep. Tell me about your spiritual life. How, yep. you, how are you and your wife doing? Yep. Maybe that's props for me. I just no. don't think you can do the Christian life apart from that. Yeah, I think we're meant to be in community. Well, the rest of the season, we're going to be talking about all these different no matter what's, if you will, whether it's singleness or infertility or career not going the way we want it to or illness, chronic pain, all sorts of different things. And I'm just so grateful we got to start with you because I knew... A, you would give us the context of what I've titled this whole show about. And B, I knew that you would give us a strong theological basis to what does it actually mean to be who God created you to be? How do we walk that out? How do we know if we're walking that out? I love Paul. I call it Paul's Great Commission in uh, Colossians one twenty eight, For we proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving, that's the word agonizomai, agonizing, according to his power, which mightily works within me. Mm. Because it completes both the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Uh, I admonish, I proclaim, I teach every person with wisdom, not just, you know, yelling at people or telling them they're wrong. Why? So that the purpose clause, we can present every man complete in Christ. King's English said perfect in Christ means mature for this purpose. We might call this his mission statement, his life statement. I labor, I strive. Notice, not according to his flesh, Mm -hmm. according to his power, which mightily works within me. Can't do it in the flesh. So I love that addendum to to his uh, first chapter in Colossians that that's what we're about at the end of the day. Whether you're a mom, a business owner, school teacher, healthcare, whatever your profession is, there are ways to proclaim, to admonish, to teach wisely to present people complete in Christ. At the end of the day, that's a pretty good baseline for anybody. Yeah. Well, that is the perfect place to end. I want to be the woman God created me to be by his power working mightily within me. Thank you, Paul. No matter what. Okay, folks, a few things before I sign off. One, if you want to keep up with Michael, you can check out his podcast at Michael Easley in Context, or you can check out his website, michaelincontext.com. Two, I have a super important favor to ask of you, and that is would you take 30 seconds to rate and review no matter what on iTunes? You've heard the spiel before. Ratings and reviews help podcasts get noticed and found by other people. And I sure am hoping that you were challenged and encouraged enough by this episode to think, hey, other people need to hear this too. So please subscribe, rate, and review no matter what. Three, on the topic of sharing is caring. I am desperate for your help in getting the word out about no matter what. So would you share this with your friends and with your social media tribe? It would mean so, so much to me. Finally, just wanted to let you know our next episode will drop next Tuesday and it's my friend, Stephanie Mae Wilson. You are going to love her story and I know it will encourage you to keep your head up and focus on being who God created you to be no matter what. <laughs>